first become a reality and you are asking yourself, now what? If you have questions about your new life, you're in the right place. Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones is the go-to podcast for women before, during, and after a divorce. Join me, Leah Jones, a certified divorce financial analyst at Hightower Bethesda, as I help you envision and create a new life that's full of possibilities, empowerment, and freedom. I'll tackle your concerns about lifestyle and money, giving you practical guidance you can use right away. Now let's get started. Divorce is, by definition, not done alone. The question may be, how do you collaborate on a split? Well, Leah's guest, Melissa Goodstein, focuses on alternative dispute resolutions, namely mediation and collaborative divorce. Among her many activities, Melissa is the incoming president of the New York Association of Collaborative Professionals. She also serves on the mediation panel for New York Court's 9th Judicial District and is a member of the New York State Council of Divorce Mediation. Leah, over to you. Thanks so much for joining me today, Melissa. Oh, it's a pleasure. Nice to be here. It's always great to have someone that has so much experience in an area that is generally seemingly a little bit confusing to people. Yeah, it certainly is. There's a lot of choices when one is going through a divorce in terms of process. And I think the more choices and options that you could evaluate really will set the tenor on how a divorce will go. Well, one thing I'm really confident about is through our conversation today, we are going to be able to provide some insight to our listeners about these alternative dispute resolution options. Um, And so what I'd really love to do is start with collaborative. So talk to me a little bit, Melissa, about how did collaborative approach emerge? So the collaborative approach emerged actually in the 19, I think it was about 1990 by an attorney in the Midwest by the name of Stu Webb, who is a Buddhist, spiritually practiced, and was also a trial attorney. And I think found that there was a disconnect between his practice, his spiritual practice and his litigation-based practice. And he was actively seeking out another way of approaching his practice and and serving his clients in a divorce and really thought about well listen the buddhist you know philosophy of working with rather than against can that somehow be applied in the context of settlement negotiations and divorce and so he began the process and uh, the model and developed of collaborative of working with rather than against instead of an adversary deeming it as a counterpart and really actively engaging in settlement negotiations from the onset and really working with his counterpart and with the clients and reaching a creative solution that was based upon interests and needs. And so it was a paradigm shift in terms of shifting from that adversarial mindset to uh, a collaborative mindset. I love the way that that causes someone to think about it, which is that, like you just said, I think most people say, okay, you know, any type of legal process is very confrontational and adversarial. And in fact, what this gentleman did is take a step back and say, you know what? No, we want to collaborate. We want to work together. And so I think going into the divorce process with that mindset, if it's possible, is a great way to go. So talk to us a little bit about 
if somebody feels like they're in a place where they could go through their divorce in a collaborative style, what does that mean? What, what, what does that look like for that client? Well, what it looks like, first of all, is that you, your spouse also, also has to agree. You know, you proceed by agreement. It is a voluntary process. And I think if there is a willingness to work with your spouse in a way that will allow for constructive resolutions and resolutions that will allow you to separate in a more peaceful way and being on the mindset of looking at your family as a family that's not going to end with a divorce. I mean, that relationship as husband and wife may be ending, but especially when you have children, you are going to be co-parents for the rest of your life. And a good indication on how you are going to be going about and ending your marriage is a good indication on how you could really be as effective and best as co-parents after a divorce. So it's really looking at it from a different lens and looking at it from also not only your interests, but of the interests of your spouse and trying to meet what's most important to him or to her, as well as keeping the interests of your children in, in the front and center and balancing and creating a balanced resolution that's creative problem solving that will meet the most important interests of the entire family and a willingness to do that and an ability to do that. And what the collaborative process offers is a team of professionals to assist in helping you make and guiding you in making those decisions. And it recognizes as well that divorce is not just legal. I mean, it's, a, it's certainly something that's a portion and you reach an, a legal agreement, but it is a myriad of other different threads, which are emotional, communication, parenting, financial. There's a lot of different threads that go into a marriage and a lot of different threads that go into the ending of a marriage and working with a team of professionals and interdisciplinary team to help you really um, unpack all of that and create solutions that will allow you to continue to maintain your family, redefine your family, but also that your that your needs and interests and concerns are being met in the best way possible. So I'd like to take that a step further. If you're a listener right now and you're saying, you know what, everything Melissa said sounds great to me. Can you draw some examples of situations where this type of resolution would work versus where it won't. So we can help sure. our identifiers, uh, our, uh, sorry. So we can help our listeners, you know, kind of identify if this is a solution that would work for them or not. Sure. So I like to kind of look at the qualifiers also. I also do mediation as well. My practice includes, and I made a decision fairly early on in my practice that I wanted to really focus on these alternative dispute resolution models, because I did think that the cost of a process for a family could really be greatly mitigated in if you could reach a resolution without and maintain a control of the outcome if you can work together. That being said, on limited circumstances, which are very significant, collaborative, the collaborative process or the mediation process may not be viable. Number one, what both processes kind of rely on is that you're coming into a space that you should feel safe, that you should feel protected. And if there is a history or issues of domestic violence, when it could be financial abuse, it could be um, psychological abuse, physical abuse, I think that the process of working outside of a court system where the court system does provide protections, that a, a voluntary process cannot, and your safety is really important. And if you feel unsafe, that you really can't speak openly or freely, and if there's going to be a consequence to doing so in this voluntary process, 
I don't think that the process is one that will be a viable one. And you might need to really avail yourselves of the myriad of protections that the court provides, which this process cannot. So that's number one. Safety is really a big concern. The other thing is that it also relies on a transparency with information gathering. We're, all, we're coming into the process with good faith. We're saying, here is all the information to make an informed decision. We're going to provide it. If that doesn't, if that's not present and there's not a transparency and a willingness to be cooperative with information gathering, you can't make a reasoned decision. We don't work with forensic accountants. We don't, we can't compel with subpoena power that the court has with providing documentation. And if there's not a willingness to cooperate in that way, this process, whether it be mediation or collaborative, would not is not a viable option. We, you need to make an informed decision with information. And if that's not forthcoming, the court provides that ability to get that information in a different way, in, in a compulsory way. So, And then finally, if you can't reach an agreement, if you're not willing to hold a space for the other person's, the, your other spouse's interests, and really can't think beyond your own, you can't really reach an agreement. It relies on the agreement of both parties. The, the attorneys are not signing off on that agreement. This is an agreement that you're reaching. You're making those decisions with the help of a team of professionals who are assisting. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing or not able to reach agreement, that's when court comes in because then the court or a judge will adjudicate. Interestingly, though, in New York at least, you know, most cases, 97% don't go to trial. I mean, it's like 3% that actually go to trial. So there's a lot of opportunity along the way to reach a settlement. What the collaborative process and mediation offers is a process to reach a settlement on your terms, on a pacing that's comfortable for you with professionals there to assist. So it's not done in a pressured, harried, you know, uncomfortable place. But again, the courts are there to, you know, to help you to reach an agreement if you cannot. That's super helpful. And obviously, I think would clear up in people's mind whether this is even an option for them mm -hmm. or not. There are a couple of things you touched on that I just want to go a little deeper on because I think they're really important points as it relates to collaborative um, and mediation. And the first one you mentioned was costs. So talk to me a little bit about cost of doing something like this versus kind of traditional litigation in divorce. Yeah. So cost is a funny thing too. Cost can mean a lot of different things. I mean, there's an emotional cost, there's a financial cost. Um, so cost is a loaded term in and of itself. That being said, in terms of just the financial cost, from the the least expensive way of getting a divorce is to really have what's called like a Starbucks divorce, or you just kind of meet with your spouse, iron out the terms of your, you know, of settlement and reduce it to a writing. Maybe an attorney does it. Maybe you get some online resources to do it. Who knows? But you don't involve other professionals. You and your spouse work together and, and reach an agreement on all terms. Now, that's possible, but you know, I don't think that that's common necessarily. The other, the other process would be mediation, where you work with a neutral, for, a neutral party, uh, a mediator, to act as a facilitator to help you reach, you know, identify the issues that you need to identify and have a discussion in a safe place to have to evaluate options and to discuss interests, needs, and to help you 
to facilitate a settlement. And that is could be a very cost-effective option for many couples. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, less complex or more complex. You know, it's just a willingness to come to the table, to be transparent, to be um, open to cooperate and to listen and un understand and to provide the information needed to make an informed decision. Um, and with the help of a neutral mediator, agreements can be reached. And that could be very cost effective because essentially you're just working with one professional in a, in a three-way negotiation. You, you both, both parties are present with the help of a, a mediator to help review the issues, to identify the issues, to understand what the interests and goals and objectives are and to, and to, and to address all of the issues that you need to address when you are going through a separation and a divorce. There is a role of attorneys in the mediation process, but there is more, it's more limited. You can work with an attorney as a consulting attorney who could advise you during the process so that you're prepared. The meetings are structured also in a way that there's agendas, there's minutes. So there's progress that is being made. You work and you build upon areas of agreement. There's a lot of homework that's done. It requires the participation of, of both parties to really get the information, to think about the issues. And so the more participation and engagement, the less costly the process is because you're really prepared. You've thought about these issues and maybe with the help of a consulting attorney to advise you on the legal aspects and to help you analyze some of the issues and, and, and evaluate the options, it could be very cost effective. And at the end, if you're an attorney mediator, you can you could draft it up into a settlement agreement, or you can go to a drafting attorney or one of the consulting attorneys could then reduce it to a settlement agreement, which in New York, at least, is the basis or the biggest piece of your divorce judgment. Because in, in New York, the no-fault ground is the breakdown of a relationship. And the only way that the, which is no-fault, irretrievable breakdown of a relationship. I'm not, I'm just paraphrasing it, but it's a no-fault ground that the only way a divorce could be granted is if you've reached an agreement on all issues. So that's what you're doing in this, in this process. And so the role of the attorney is more limited in scope and it's more ancillary, but in a very important piece though, I really do recommend um, strongly that all agreements are reviewed independently by counsel because it is a legally binding agreement. And it's really important to make sure that you understand the legal implications of what you are agreeing to because they are very significant in terms of support obligations, how you're distributing property, how you're going to be parenting your children. So I really you know, appreciate and, and recommend the value of having that oversight. It only adds also to the integrity of the agreement and the enforceability. So it, it adds to the, it just supports the whole mediation process in that way. So that could be very cost effective. But for some people, being your own advocate, which you kind of are in the mediation process, the mediation, the mediator is acting as a facilitator. If they're attorney mediator, they're not acting as either one of your counsel. If you're a, a therapist mediator or from another discipline, you could be a financial you know, mediator in the divorce mediation who's a financial neutral as well. They're not coming in and representing. They're, they're representing, you know, coming in as a neutral. And that that role of neutrality is central to the role, to the, to the role of a mediator. So in that way, the, the couple is coming in and really speaking openly and freely in terms of what their interests, what their goals are, what their objectives. And if there's an inability to do that, not necessarily because there's a, a, a concern about safety or, or abuse that's present, 
But maybe there has been an, an imbalance of power during the relationship. Maybe there's not a comfortableness with the issues that need to be addressed. Maybe it's just, you know what, just the trauma, which it really is. A divorce is a incredibly traumatic event, one of the most in, in, in someone's lives. And so just being able to articulate what your goals are, what are your interests, is really hard for some people. And if you don't have the ability to do that, that's where collaborative is another approach to help support clients in that way. Because with collaborative, you are working with an interdisciplinary team with attorneys on the onset, and more particularly, the attorneys in a collaborative process are present. There's four-way negotiations as a as a as a fundament with the client always represented by counsel and that client's coming in the the attorney client relationship in this way is one of support instead instead of like speaking for which would be in a based litigation model you are speaking with and and giving the support necessary for each spouse to really help articulate and voice what is important to them and to help analyze the data and the information from the onset. You're coming in from the onset, in between meetings, throughout the process to provide that voice to help them in that way. And then we also work with this other, the other members of that interdisciplinary team. And in terms of the cost, you know, it really depends. It depends upon what do you need to help best support you to reach an agreement? Because the end of the day, you need to reach an agreement. How you do that is so very individual. And so what is the support that you need? And yes, there's probably, there is, collaborative is more expensive than mediation, simply because you're bringing in all professionals on the onset, you're bringing in a team. But if that's what is needed to help you reach an agreement, that cost is really well served in that way. Um, so there are retainers for each collaborative attorney, I know for, for myself, I have like a 15-hour retainer based upon my hourly rate. My counterpart would have something similar. There would be retainers for each of the, for the financial neutral, which is another element of the collaborative team. The fi family specialist, which is also a, a mental health professional neutral who comes in as well to assist with parenting, communication, and helping to navigate the emotional landscape of divorce to help make those negotiations as productive as possible, working with the clients in between and during sessions, as well as um, a child specialist may be bought in as well. If there's a particular issues needed, you know, if there's a difference of opinion, maybe about what's best for the children and to bring the voice of the child into the room. So that child specialist would work with and help bring that voice of the child by working with the family and, and meeting with and getting those interests and concerns on the table and that information. So that outlay of professionals is, is, is costly. But again, if that results in an agreement, that's, that's great. And what we're all being charged with in collaborative is to reach a settlement. That's the end goal here. All of the professionals, all of the, both of the clients are committed. We're all working for the same end game, which is to reach a settlement that will meet the highest interests and goals of the family and to do it in a dignified, respectful manner, in a cooperative manner. And when we're all kind of retained and engaged by, we signed a participation agreement that outlines how we're going to work together, that really enlists the cooperation and really maximizes that success. Litigation, on the other hand, in terms of another process, the cost of that could be 
you know, we well, first of all, the initial cost, at least for in the metro area, when you have children for a retainer, you know, just to be retained in litigation is could range from like 25,000 at least, you know, around there, 7,500, maybe on a more simplistic, um, you know, case necessarily. But with children, it can be upwards of 25,000 and more for just, and that's just to begin. And then the average cost can go into the six figures, you know, even much more when you're dealing with high net worth as well, because what you're also, you know, because you have a litigation based where the end goal is to get the best for your client at any, at any cost. And that cost could really be, who knows, you know, because you're, you, you're, you, it could be open ended. And so the cost financially is uncertain. And the cost in terms of how to get there is also could be very significant as well. Again, when you're working against each other in this way. That was a great explanation from the, you know, all the way from the very beginning to the Starbucks coffee divorce agreement <laughs> to, uh, full-on litigation. And I, 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 I was particularly engrossed in the kind of discussion around mediation versus collaboration, because I think that that is oftentimes a very gray area. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else kind of between that mediation and collaboration? So somewhere in the middle that yeah. you could talk about or just explain if, again, if someone's trying to figure out, oh, yeah. I, you know, both of them sound good, but I'm not sure which one. Sure, that's a great question. And what I try to do in my practice is try to include the benefits of collaborative practice and integrate some of the elements in my mediation practice. For example, I may be meeting with a with couple that maybe doesn't ne- they're they're really great advocates for their own interests. They're really speak openly and freely. Maybe there's a knowledge base particularly with their kids, they're really aligned. They really know what's best for them. They, they really worked out and are very comfortable with each other's parenting and really acknowledge each other's roles as, as parents and value that and want to really structure a parenting arrangement that speaks to that. That's not so much of an issue. They make decisions openly and freely. There's not a conflict. They, they really do that with ease. But you know, with the finances, there, that's been more of a struggle for this particular couple. And maybe there is a complexity to their finances. Maybe one spouse has irregular income. Maybe one spouse doesn't even have an income at this point and has been out of the workforce. Maybe there's a complexity with how their, their assets are held. And maybe there's just also a, a disconnect or not a, a balance of understanding with the finances with one spouse, maybe handling it all the, all the time and the other person trusting that, but not having any understanding or context with where any, you know, what they have, how expenses are being paid and to really get that balance of understanding on an equal place or to really deal with a more complex, the more complex issues that are necessary to unpack when you're financially separating because largely an agreement is a financial agreement in a, in a big portion of it. How are you going to support each other? How are you going to support the kids? How are you going to be financially independent? How do we divide all of the assets and debts that we hold together? What is the best way to do that? How do we think about the tax impacting of things? And how do, what is it going to look like from day one after we, get the, after we sign an agreement to five years later, 10 years later? What is my retirement going to look like? And to get that understanding, what I, I do in my mediation practice pretty much routinely at this point is if it's needed, and it's needed in 
a majority of cases, is to work with a financial neutral. So it's adapting one of the elements that is a framework of a collaborative process. You, you work with an interdisciplinary team on the onset. I would bring in a financial neutral into the process. And that could really, and that financial neutral will also attend the meetings as it relates to the finances. I'm not going to duplicate my work. And that's another thing with the interdisciplinary approach. There's not a duplication of efforts. We really kind of focus, this is your area of specialty. You know, if you're, you know, as an attorney, for example, I can do a statement of net worth. I mean, I, but I didn't go to law school to do that training. I mean, I know how to do it from that legal perspective and what's needed, but why not get that expertise from that professional who is trained just like what you're training as Leah in, in your work to work with someone like yourself to really help with gathering the information in the best way possible to really help with analysis and reports to help us really evaluate the options and to also give a balance, the level of understanding and empowering each spouse so that they can make the best decision possible. And they can really provide illustrations and reports and analysis that will help guide the decision-making in a really positive, cohesive way. And to be to give hope too and empowerment, because with empowerment is hope for a better future. And I really think that that coming in in that neutral capacity and bringing in that support is helpful. And I see myself also in the mediation process, even as a collaborative attorney as well, as I'm a, I'm a resource. They're coming in in a very difficult part of their life. It's a trauma, as again, and that cannot be minimized. And I'm coming in as a resource and support. So I am always recommending, not only within the context of their divorce, a financial collaborative, financial neutral, mental health family specialist, but also other support that they may need because they may also need a financial advisor post-divorce, you know, to help them navigate a therapy for their children during the divorce outside of the divorce context or for each individually to help them manage and process and to really get all of the support that's needed to help them get through this both during, after, and all stages. And I find, and I'm looking, you know, to, as a resource to help them with other professionals to assist not only within the divorce, but post-divorce. I love the word you used empowerment. I love that word just in general, but I love it specifically in this situation because that empowerment is what enables people to move forward. And oftentimes people get stuck, right? Yes. And you don't know why they're stuck and they can be stuck for totally different reasons. And uh, that's why I also like that it's an interdisciplinary team that is put together and can help address that anxiety or fear that is not causing people to feel empowered. And it can be different for each person in the spouse, maybe, I mean, each person in the relationship. So, you know, one spouse is really worried about the money and the financial aspect, and the other spouse is really worried about the kids. And that's right. And that happens all the time. And then this way, you're catering to each person and you're working with someone that has the same, everybody is in the same mind space of we're trying to resolve this. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to empower you. So I really, really love that messaging. And it makes a lot of sense to me, Melissa. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Is there anything just in in closing you want our listeners to hear? 
Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, the more control that you can have over the outcome, the better. And the more that you can work with and work and, and be open to having the support that you need to make the best possible decision for your family, the better the outcome is. And I think collaborative as well as mediation really supports creative problem solving, acknowledges that each family is unique, is different. Everyone has a certain you know, wants to have certain cares that they feel are being threatened and they want to be heard and understood. And we want to help navigate that in the best way possible so that they can move on so that to get stuck, you're stuck for a reason. We want to help you get unstuck. What is it that you feel threatened with? What do you really care about? What do you need to help you make a decision that you could be more hopeful, that you won't be so fearful in terms of moving forward. And I think selecting a process where you can really maintain control of the outcome and don't lose that and don't lose that relationship. Because once you lose it, once you lose control, it's really hard to get it back. And once you compromise or lose that relationship or break it, it's also really hard to get back. And that is the cost that is so it's, it's, you can't even put a put a value on it because it could be intergenerational. It could affect generations and uh, generations to come. And everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone deserves to be heard. Everyone deserves to be understood. And if you can approach, you know, your uh, divorce with a dignity, and 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 approach your spouse with that to really work together, I think that these processes of collaborative and mediation really support that and allow you to do that in the best way possible. Great closing remarks there. Melissa, we covered a lot in this show. I love that collaboration comes from Buddhist principles, talking about constructive resolutions. I mean, every word in here is is empowering. That's why I really like it. Who this would work well for, who these type of alternative dispute resolution options would work best for going through the full gamut of what your options are, really getting clear about the differences between mediation and collaboration and understanding what might make sense in your particular situation. So many great examples there working with an inter... I know I'm going to get it smooth sooner (laughs) or later. Interdisciplinary team of professionals (laughs) to uh, get you to the right place to break through from that fear and anxiety to address everybody's individual concerns and the control. I love that you talked about that, how that's priceless. Don't give that up. Don't ever give that up to anyone. And uh, yes, (laughs) yes. Never. And it takes a village. It takes a village. Be open to receiving that support. That's right. That's right. And it's okay. There are going to be times in your life where you need other people's help and you have to refer to other professionals. And that part of giving up control is okay. But maintaining the ultimate authority on what the decisions are and what it looks like and and dignity, exiting your marriage with dignity. And like you said, creating as little as least amount of trauma as you can for generations to come. So that's right. Melissa, thank you so much today. I hope that we inspired some listeners to come to alternative dispute resolution, because it seems like it makes a whole lot of sense in a lot of situations. So thank you so much for your time and thoughts today. Thank you for the opportunity, Leah. Leah, how can people reach you if they want some more information? Feel free to go to www.hightowerbethesda, and there are several options there for reaching out to us. 
And follow Leah Jones' podcast, Her Divorce Source, to make sure you know when the next episode is ready for you. And of course, please share with others. Thank you for listening to Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones from Hightower Bethesda. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released. Hightower LLC is an SEC registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA SIPC. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.